Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, July 10th. I almost said June. It's July. July 10th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. Anything goes. Uh, Normally, I don't have guests on Monday, but we have a guest on today. Uh, We're working on getting him in right now. So we will uh, we will be joined here very shortly. I've got a couple other things I might want to talk about today after the guest. Other than that, uh, it's a free for all. Anything goes today. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, go ahead and jump in now. 855-950-3835. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Uh, I do want to bring on our guest. We are being joined by Evan Shelley. He's the co-founder and CEO of truckparkingclub.com. Evan, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Well, great to have you here. Good morning. So before we get started on the important stuff, I notice uh, you were or maybe still are in Orlando. Is that true? So I am actually in South Florida now. I lived in Orlando for five years, and I, I moved to South Florida um, last fall. Got it. Okay. I lived in uh, Orlando for about 14 years, so familiar with the area. Yeah. Yeah, Orlando's great. Yeah. So let's talk about truckparkingclub.com. What, uh, let's just jump in. What is this? Truckparkingclub.com is a network of truck parking locations across the U.S. Um, and those locations are made up of business owners like trucking companies, tow truck companies, trailer leasing companies, self-storage companies, uh, anything kind of in and around logistics involved in some way. That That is the majority of the locations. And what Truck Parking Club does is it connects truckers to those truck parking locations easily through our platform at truckparkingclub.com or our mobile apps. Um, and what we focus on is helping truckers save time and fuel by efficiently finding and reserving truck parking across the U.S. That's, that's our mission. That's how we orient everything. We want to help truckers have one platform to go to to find and reserve truck parking in real time and know you have a spot reserved that's along your route that helps you get further down the road. So I love this idea. We'll, we'll go back because over the years, every time this issue comes up, we talk about it on the show. We have a theme here. You know, when, when you talk about business, you're almost always talking about problems. Our, our theme here is really, really try to solve your own problems before you go to the government. That, that's like our just that's our basic premise here. And it made me crazy every time I heard this parking issue. Well, the government's got to do something about this. No, they really don't. And we'd rather they not. Uh, that's just my approach with just about everything. The other thing, and I'm wondering um, how much pushback you get on this, because as soon as paid parking came around forever, there was almost no such thing, maybe one or two truck stops around the country. And it's becoming a more regular thing. And there's a lot of complaints about it. And I, I said, look, if you want to solve the parking problem, pay for parking. Really, the fact that you expect to get parking everywhere free and just freak out if somebody offers paid parking. Why was that such a problem? Well, I guess they believe it took spots away from the non-paid. But in my opinion, that's how you solve a problem. 
give somebody a financial incentive to solve it and it will get solved. And that's what you're doing here. So it seems like you're growing pretty fast. I've been waiting for something like this to hit the market. Um, How are things going so far? Yeah, so really quickly, I want to address what you just said about the paid parking. And, you know, what what we do currently is paid parking only, but we are actually going to be offering we will show availability of free parking. That is something we will be rolling out over the next few weeks that we're very excited about. I'd love that. And it will actually show availability. Yeah, it will actually show availability. It won't be like we think there's some parking there or we think this location exists. Um, So we're working on getting that right and that will roll out soon. But on top of that, you know, we would love to go to these business owners and get them to add their spaces for free because we could make – we could make money through advertising or something of that nature if we could just add these locations. Unfortunately, none of these business owners or landowners are going to offer up their properties for free. So to create this supply of truck parking that never really existed before, we they all the property owners, all the business owners are asking for some type of payment to be able to park at their properties. So, you know, we um, wish... We could do it for free. We wish we could add these locations for free because we would find out a different way to make money on it through the traffic, through advertising. But fortunately, that so, that's just not an option. And if we want to add more truck parking, that's really how we're doing it. I completely agree. And I am actually a proponent of just paying for parking. You know, we're willing to pay for every other service we need to run our business. And for some reason, we don't want to pay for this. And, and I'm not sure why, because... Real estate's expensive. It takes a lot of space to park trucks. It takes a lot of um, maintenance of the lot. And here's another problem, and it's why I'm sure business owners want to get paid. Um, ask Walmart about their experience with this. You know, Walmart has always allowed trucks and, and RVs to park in their lots overnight if the, the uh, local ordinances allow it, and a lot of places in the country can't. But a, a lot of Walmarts have then gone on to ban trucks because of damage and trash and, you know, no accountability. So I do believe that just having a good system, paying for parking, and it's not like you have to pay every night. I mean, we all know that this, this parking issue doesn't hit you every night, but to have another option and a paid option well, what does that also do? It frees up more of the traditional parking spaces. So the more people who are willing to say, look, I'd rather just pay, know I have a spot, know what I've got when I get there. Uh, I don't have to look around. I don't have to wait and waste time. The more people that do that, the more traditional spots get gets opened up anyway, and it really starts to solve this. Yeah, what I would say is, for overnight parking in particular, we're like your third best option at truck parking clubs. So you have the truck stops and the rest stops that you go and try to find free parking at. And then for one night overnight, we are kind of the third best option in a lot of instances. Some people just prefer to use our lots over truck stops and rest stops for various reasons. But uh, for most people, getting that free parking makes sense. And I understand that completely. Where we provide a ton of value is if you need to leave your truck, if you need to leave a trailer um, for multiple days, that's where really where you can go to truckparkingclub.com and book two to 10 days very easy and conveniently at a location that 
probably wasn't available publicly. Very nice. Um, and, and that's where we see we, that we can provide a ton of value. And, and on top of that, we're not against free parking, as, I, as I've said. Uh, we think there needs to be more of it built. It's just if you look at what states and federal are saying about rolling this out, how many spaces they're going to add over the next five or ten years, uh, it it puts a very small dent right. in the greater issue right. of the shortage. Um, so it would be great if they would add more. And and then ultimately that only solves one part of the problem, just overnight. It doesn't solve multi-night. Correct. So right. if you need to drop a trailer, it doesn't solve that problem. You know, one of the things we see too, uh, local truck stops, a lot of times you'll see they'll have arrangements with people who run out of that area and they'll, they'll do some of this parking at truck stops and they'll allow some trailer drops and it's usually arranged, you know, at that local. And you see a lot of complaints about that. You know, if, if drivers see that trucks are being parked there for multiple days or trailers are dropped, then again, everybody's pissed off because there's not enough spots and now somebody's taking one for several days. So there's another way that your service can free up the parking that's already there. Get get more of that away from truck stops. You know, I, every time we've talked about this, uh, a lot of our callers will say, look, you know, you just have to be a little out of the box. You have to think a little differently. You've got to find those places that maybe you don't traditionally park. Uh, and again, we always talk about solving this problem, you know, yourself. It always drove me crazy is when you're looking for a parking spot, there's space everywhere. You just can't use it. You know, it's not that there just isn't any space. Yeah. You look around and it's all over the place. There's just no way to use it. Uh, so I think this is just a, a fantastic service. So one of the other things I, I came across, you talk some about amenities, uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so on our platform, uh, our properties can range from high security facilities with electric fences and showers and restrooms and uh, uh, food, food trucks, all the way to vacant lots that are just graveled and just adequate for um, dropping a trailer or an overnight parking with no amenities. So what we do on our platform is we want to make sure that the trucker understands what they're going to get at each and every location very clearly, the location that they're booking, what they're going to get, because we have truckers that have high value loads. Obviously, they're going to need a higher security facility, so we make it very clear which ones are available. We also have a customer service line made up of former truckers and um, still CDL holders that uh, when you call in to Truck Parking Club, uh, you're talking with a, uh, a trucker. So they're going to be able to talk with you about each and every location and understand what you're going through and understand what you're looking for and talk with you about what they believe to be the best fit for you at that point in time. So amenities play a big part in just helping the trucker quickly determine uh, if that spot is going to be adequate for what they need. Interesting, because that everybody who's driven a truck has faced that issue. You call ahead, you know, even for a dock, a delivery, whatever, and uh, you don't always get the right answers about, you know, what kind of issues you might face getting in there with the truck. So uh, it's nice to know that that's been thought through. Um, it looked to me like you came from the real estate side of things. Is that correct? Yeah, real estate is, is my background. Okay, so how did you end up with the truck parking issue? How did that happen? 
So I um, was doing commercial and industrial land development deals um, for the last several years. And back a couple of years ago, I came across a property that was zoned industrial and ultimately found that it was, it was going to be a good location for truck parking. And I went to that municipality, and even though it was zoned industrial, they told me that I couldn't put truck parking there. And from everyone I had talked to, they were saying there isn't enough truck parking. Um, there's a huge demand for it. You need to build more of it. But then this municipality is telling me that I can't. So that got me very, very curious about what's really going on here. And then from there, um, started talking with people in space, talking with uh, truck parking operators, talking with people in logistics um, about the issue and what are people doing to solve it and really where, um, you know, what's the best way to ultimately um, help solve the problem of creating more parking to alleviate the, the shortage. And so long story short, I came up with Truck Parking Club where, you know, just as you mentioned, there's a lot of space out there and we help those property owners put their space on our platform and we help truckers easily find and reserve those spaces to help them save time and fuel to get further down the road in the direction that they need to go rather than looking, looking, looking for free parking. And then, and then also looking, looking, looking for paid parking. Right. Because it's both a struggle because there really isn't a platform that clearly tells you, Hey, there's eight spots available here. Now you can book it now. Um, so we've got, we're just hyper focused on helping the trucker easily, uh, find and reserve that parking to really help, you know, save, like I, like I mentioned a couple of times, save time and fuel. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love the whole, the way things like that come about. Earlier, I'd mentioned you're, you're getting ready to roll out this availability of free space. What is that? Is there any, I would have to believe there's some sort of technology that's making that easier? Yeah, I don't want to get into too much detail. I've, I've, you know, we've really kept it quiet for the last couple of weeks. Uh, something we worked on for a while, and um, we, yeah, we're we're able to roll it out um, because of hardware, and um, yeah, it's 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 just something that we will be able to make a very formal announcement Excellent. probably in the next two to three weeks. Okay, good. Um, but now, as of right now, I've been I've been mentioning it subtly on. Yeah, few, uh, podcasts and things, but haven't gotten into the full detail yet. Yeah, I've seen some, you know, kind of technology coming and I've seen some technologies used. We have it. I'm sure not the same, but uh, one of the big improvements they made here at the airport, like you can see open spaces without going down every single lane. You know, they've just used technology to make it a little easier. Yeah. Uh, and I figured at some point. Um, we should get something like that to help with this problem. So um, you've said this is really simple, easy enough that if a driver decided, hey, this sounds interesting, I want to look for a spot tonight, they could get signed up and be looking for a spot that quick? Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we, get, we have bookings all across the U.S. every single day from L.A. to Vegas to Dallas to Atlanta to 
Newark, New Jersey, every single day, all across the U.S. with new customers coming on, making bookings every single day. I, we, we're very focused on making the product simple, 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 and easy to use. Not flashy, but right. simple and easy for a trucker to use. We love that. So walk us through. If somebody says, hey, this sounds interesting, I want to give this a try today, what do they do next? Um, if you have a smartphone, I would say go to your app store, whether it's uh, Google Play or uh, the Apple App Store, and type in Truck Parking Club. You're going to see our app. You would download the app. From there, you're going to go into the app, and you're going to immediately see our map of all of our locations. Let's say you're in Dallas. So you could scroll in on the map, or you could search Dallas, and you'll see, I believe we have four or five locations in Dallas currently. Um, and from there click the location, you're going to see photos, you're going to see amenities available, um, you're going to see number of spaces available. And then from there, let's say you want to book for five days, you would go to um, billing options and click per day. You would select whether you're starting, let's say tomorrow through the end of the week. Um, you would select those days, then you would put make, model, um, plate number of your tractor and trailer. And then it's going to tell you, okay, here's your total. You would then click uh, book, put in your card information, click book, and you are booked. The average customer takes two to three minutes to book. That's pretty simple. Uh, One other thing I thought of, does the app allow for any kind of reviews? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's two-way reviews, just like Airbnb. So if um, a trucker wants to leave a review about a property, which which they do, um, they will leave the review. And if the property owner wants to leave a, pro- uh, a review about the trucker, they can do that as well. I love that. Some accountability on both sides. That's right. Excellent. All right. Well, Evan, we, uh, like I said, we this issue's been coming up for years. We've always said there are better solutions than just waiting for the government to do this. And if we get out there and get active and proactive and find your own solutions, but it's nice when something like this hits the market. So uh, I was excited about this. We're glad to have you on. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Please let me know if you ever want to talk truck parking just in general. Um, Absolutely. I live it every single day. So yeah, let's uh, contribute in any way that I can. Well, let's uh, you've got a, you know, an upgrade coming soon. So yeah, let's uh, get you back on the schedule and talk about your upgrade and just uh, parking in general. Excellent. That sounds great. I appreciate the time. All right. Thanks for calling. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. All right. It's time for a free for all. Phone lines are open. Like I said, I have a couple topics, but uh, if we've got calls, I'll go to those first. Let's uh, let's get started in New Jersey today. Trevor, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Oh, well, I want to talk a little bit about how speed affects fuel economy and a little bit about getting into the business of trucking. Okay. What's on your mind? So over the weekend, I went for a motorcycle ride with my buddy. We went, we did, I want to say it was about 130 miles round trip through the rolling hills. We went out to a place, about, it was about 65 miles from our house. We, we went out there, we did about 55 all the way out. I burned, I think it was like a quarter tank of fuel. On our way back, we did a lot faster than that. And I burned, we did the same route all the way back, and I burned 
half a tank of fuel on top of that quarter tank I burned getting there. Wow. So that that kind of shocked me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was about 50% faster on our way back than the way we went out there. So that's that's huge on what would have been about 1000 pounds altogether for just me, my bike and a little bit of gear I had on it. So that that should kind of raise the minds about the bigger trucks and slowing down in the bigger truck to save fuel. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's really just physics, and we talk about this all the time. Everything we measure to measure fuel economy, we're measuring physics. Everything we do to improve fuel economy, we have to affect physics in some way. So all of those things we talk about, uh, well, there's four really in physics that we talk about. So we have wind resistance, which is really number one at highway speed. The thing about wind resistance, aerodynamics, is that if you go up 10 miles an hour, it's not a small change. It's what we call an exponential change. You don't add to figure out how much worse it gets. You multiply. So every time you go faster, you're multiplying the, the forces that cause you to burn fuel. Wind resistance being the big one. Rolling resistance, wheels against the ground is, is second usually. Then mechanical resistance from the engine itself. We, we put oil in an engine because it has friction and friction robs us of energy. So we need to improve that potentially. Uh, friction through the entire driveline, all the gears, all that, all of that robs us of fuel economy. So when we go faster, all of those things increase exponentially. So the, the rule of thumb that has held true as an average, doesn't work in every case, but the rule of thumb that's held true forever, really, is for every one mile per hour you increase on a class eight truck, you will lose one tenth of a mile per gallon in fuel economy. So if you want to go 10 miles an hour faster, you're going to lose one full mile per gallon, which is thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I have somewhat of a kind of intermediate knowledge of how engines work and how all the friction and all that stuff kind of affect all the driveline and fuel economy and horsepower and all that stuff. Here's something else we know, and we don't necessarily think of this, but on that vehicle, anywhere that we generate heat, that's lost energy. That's energy that was used not to propel the vehicle down the road. So engines get hot. There's nothing we can do about that. I mean, we can cool them, but that heat is always lost energy. The driveline gets hot. That's lost energy. The tires get hot. That's lost energy. The, the number that we've always been working on is only about 40 some percent of the energy we burn from the fuel moves the vehicle down the road. Less than half. Half of the fuel we're burning is being wasted. It's being wasted for heat and inefficiency. The new super truck um, that was just tested finally broke the 50% mark. They actually, more than half of the energy was used to propel the vehicle down the road. And that's where the gains come from. Yeah, well, that 50% gain on that fancy truck they have, well, can we make all trucks like that? I don't really we, think that's 
very feasible to be cost effective on the super truck if we were to make no, all the trucks the, on the road the super truck. The idea of a super truck program, I'm not against. What I am against is how much right. of our money we spend on it. I, I think industry should be spending right. more. I think we should stop handing out taxpayer dollars for stuff like this. But yeah, the super truck programs end up costing tens of millions of dollars with the idea being if we develop new technology that can really save fuel and you apply it to uh, millions of trucks on the road, then it does start to look like that money potentially could be well spent. I just wish... Again, the industry would spend more money instead of the government spending money. Many of the things that, right. you know, we, we did something similar to this. Back in 08, we built our signature truck, and it was kind of the same thing as the super truck program. We did things that people either said, oh, that'll never work. That doesn't make sense. Uh, what turns out, it, the biggest thing people said, oh, that's stupid, that doesn't make sense, was when we converted that truck to a six by two instead of a six by four. So we had three axles, but only one drive axle instead of two. And that improves fuel economy. And everybody said, oh, that's the goofiest thing ever. That won't, well, that's available on every truck made now. The OEMs now do it. They did it way better than we did. They have, you know, automatic leveling and traction control. And, but we were able to prove the concept. And, and that's what those programs are for. You try things, you experiment, you focus just on fuel economy. And we were able to develop several things just in our little program. Okay. Can we switch topics and go to uh, getting into the business of trucking? Sure. What's on your mind? So right now I'm a company driver. In about two years, I want to go get my own truck and go work for Landstar. And I want to have a relatively better idea of what I need to do to get myself in a position to basically have a good foundation of jumping into being an owner-operator and the whole thing that goes along with that. Because I know there's risks. Sometimes it's a little scary to think about, but I want to jump into it and give it the best shot I can give it. And I know talking to you and getting advice from you is the best shot I'm going to get to making this actually work. Yeah. You know, the good news about this, I, I, I can make kind of a crazy claim that if you just do certain things right in the right order, that the risk of failing at this is we can get that risk to almost zero. Really. If we, if we think this through, if we plan it through, if we set things up right, the risk becomes almost zero. One of the ways we can get started on this idea right now is to start to calculate your risk in doing this. And one of the things I need to know for that, uh, we can approach it two ways. We can either approach it, if you know this number, how much you have to earn to pay your bills every month, just to pay the bills, no extras, just to, you know, keep the lights on and a roof over your head or whatever your situation is. Um, if you know that number, we can start with that. If you don't know that number, we can probably start with how much you're earning right now. So do you know how much well, you, you've got to make? I kind of already crunched the numbers actually over the weekend. I had a little time to do that. It's somewhere around about two grand a month. Excellent. And, and so, so I think that's, I think that's relatively low. It is. And, and that's important and it's good that, that gives me, I, 
without asking you many more questions, I can get your risk of starting this to almost zero. That sounds great. Yeah. Now, I have people come to me all the time that are making eighty, eighty-five, ninety thousand $90,000 as a company driver, and they've kind of ended up in a lifestyle where they need that much money. That is a whole different right. issue. I, I can't guarantee anybody's success at that point. We could, you know, put together a plan and crunch numbers, and but it would involve a lot more risk of failure at that point. So in the, I have a whole program on how to do this step-by-step. Step. I don't think it's available right now. We're actually in the process of merging some of our websites and it's possible that that course isn't available right now. You said you've got a two-year window, so okay. you will definitely want to take that course. It is, it's, right. taking that course would be like me trying to talk to you for the next 40 hours. I mean, that's how much material I've put into that course. I, I cover everything about startup, getting your books in order, crunching all of these numbers. And it sounds like you've already done a pretty good job of that. Um, so at some point we'll make that course available again, and you're going to want to take that, um, already we're off to a good start because you know, your numbers, your, uh, your monetary needs are pretty small. That makes this much, much easier yep. and your planning. So I, I will already put you in the top 90%. Wow. Yeah. That it's, it's that easy to make it to the top 90%. You've put some work into this, but it wasn't that hard, was it? No. It, yeah, it's not. It's stuff but, that I was kind of taught growing up. Yeah, but that that alone, just the fact that you did those things puts you in the top 90% because 90% of the people that come and ask me about this haven't done that yet. All they want to know is what truck should I be buying? They want to they wanna tell me about the truck they're already looking at buying and they've done none of this work yet. That's normally what I deal with. So this makes things much, much easier. Now, what else could you be doing? In the program, uh, I have you do a couple things you've already done. One, we, we look at what you just did. How much money do you need just to pay the bills? So we know what number we have to hit each month to get started on this. Uh, and then I also have you calculate your net worth. So between those okay. two numbers, net worth is really the easiest way for me to describe net worth. And you may know what it is, but a lot of people don't. If, if we were, if we sold everything you own, everything, I mean, you're going to be standing in the street with some clothes on your back, basically. Uh, so we sell everything you own at market value. You know, you sell vehicles at market value. Everything else goes like it's a uh, lawn sale, whatever. If we sell everything you own, we pay off everybody you owe money to. It, how much, if anything, is left? That's really what net worth is. If you had to sell everything you own, pay off everybody, how much cash would you be standing there with, if any? And there are lots of people in our country, especially right now, this number gets worse every month when I check it. Um, there are lots of people in our country who have a negative net worth, meaning if they sold everything, they would pay people off and they would run out of money before they got done paying people off. And then they would have zero. That's a bad place to be. 
but it's a good idea to identify that. I encourage everybody to figure out what your net worth is and then track it. Really, the whole point of any financial planning, if we bring it down to basics, the whole point of any financial planning is to increase your net worth. That's the whole point. Why aren't we tracking that number so we know if it's if it's, what we're doing is working or not? Whether we own a business or not, even if you're an employee, you should be tracking your net worth. That's That tells us your financial picture. So, and then... I do both of these numbers for startup because if you have a big net worth and maybe you also have big living expenses, well, the big net worth can help minimize risk too. We could have a plan that says, hey, look, you might not make enough money at this in the first year. It's sometimes it takes, well, not sometimes, it always takes a while, years to get really efficient. Nobody is as as efficient as they can be in the first year. Just never happens that way. I know people that are on their 20th year and they're still nowhere near efficient. But if you work towards it, we can get more efficient each year. We build better relationships. The profit goes up. So if somebody has enough net worth and they're willing to risk it, I'll say, um, we're not going to make enough money in the first year to pay all your bills. You have too many bills, but if you're willing to risk some of your capital, maybe in the second or third year, we can reach those numbers. There's a lot more risk in that. If somebody doesn't have much of a net worth, but they've got really low living expenses, then that makes it easier. Ideally, if you've got a nice big net worth and a nice small living expense, then that's when I can just about guarantee that this will work. Okay. Does that all make sense? Oh, I guess we're going to have to, yeah, I guess we're going to have to sit down and really figure the net worth out. Have you, because I think, have you ever heard me talk about mint.com? Think, well, no, I don't think I have. Okay. So here's the easiest and best way to get your net worth. And then once you do the work up front, then you'll be able to track your net worth all the time and it will take almost no work. You won't have to keep going back and doing this. There are some apps that do this as well and mint.com does have an app. There are some other apps and services. I'm testing one right now that's using AI, but my guess is Mint is gonna start using AI here real soon anyway. So my recommendation is Mint. It's free, it's always been free, As far as I can tell, it always will be. Here's the way it works. All of your financial data today is online somewhere. All of your credit card data, your credit card accounts, they're all online. So people used to say, oh, I don't want to sign up for Mint because I have to put in all my passwords and I'll be at risk. All of your data is already at risk. Forget it. Every insurance company, every doctor, all of that stuff is online somewhere and it can all be hacked. So we're not doing anything here that puts any of your accounts at risk. Not any more than they already are. So you log into Mint, you create an account, and then you start attaching all of your financial data. So you put in your your checking account and Mint pulls all the transactions in and starts to categorize them. Uh, you put in your savings account, so it will list that as an asset. You can even put in vehicles And if you put in all the information, Mint will use a service like Kelly Blue Book to keep the value of your vehicle current. 
And then if you have a loan against the vehicle, you attach that loan account. Now Mint knows the loan and the value of the vehicle every day. Now it can calculate that as part of your net worth. You can put in your address. It will use a, a service like Zillow to keep the current value of your home every day. Then you put in your mortgage account and it knows your mortgage balance. So once you get all, you can put in retirement accounts, investment accounts, uh, vehicles, properties, uh Everything that affects your net worth can be put into Mint. And then once it's all in there, all you have to do is open up your app or your account and you can see your net worth and it changes every day. And that from then on, you track it with very, very little work. Uh, you know, update some accounts now and then and that's about it. Oh, that sounds like it makes everything easy. Really easy. The, the work is all in the beginning. So I tell people, and it can yep. be frustrating. You know, you got to go find all these logins and I, it, it is work. But I tell people, pick a weekend or a couple days off, go someplace you really like, the lake, the mountains, wherever, uh, and, and just sit down and do this. You know, take whatever, you know, account information you need or whatever, sit down over a weekend. And once you get this set up, this is a really powerful way of monitoring your financial picture. Okay, I guess I'm going to sit down this weekend and hammer all that out. Perfect. And then... I know what my net worth is. And then my next piece of advice, and then we'll send you off, and you should probably call me about once a week while you're doing this, and there's all kinds of things we could talk about and plan. The next thing you should be really focused on, you're currently a driver, right? Yep. How many business books have you listened to in the last 30 days? In the last 30 days, none. Okay. But I have listened to a couple books I think you've recommended before. I can't. I remember one of them was uh, about negotiate, negotiating. Yeah. Uh, it was the uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I think there was a couple others. Good. So let's think I've about this for a so. second. There are thousands of business books, thousands. I mean, I have lists, but there's... there's I, you know, even my lists would be hundreds, technically thousands of books long. Uh, and for me to sit down and try to rate them all uh, would be difficult. So I do put out lists, but let's think about this for a second. The average book, I think, is probably about six hours, um, six to eight. Okay. So you can listen to most business books in one day of driving, one day. And you've, you've read a whole book on business. So without even really pushing it, we could easily listen to two books a week. You've got a two-year timeline here. You would be able to consume yep. almost or more than 200 books between now and then. How much would you know about business if you read or listened to somewhere between 100 and 200 books on business? Quite a bit. Yes. And that's what you should be doing. That That is one of the, you know, books. Some people will go, oh, but that's a lot of money for books. It's really not. Um, it, it might seem like it, but it is the cheapest education you could ever possibly get. It is. Get yourself an Audible I account. for education. And, it's, and, and if yep, I, I already have a uh, Amazon Prime account, I think it's all linked. I just 
sign in with my Amazon account and it links right to Yeah, but what you want to do is you want to get on one of the Audible subscription programs. So let me go see what what they're offering right now. Uh, So what you do, and I, I still have this, and I end up with tons and tons of book credits because... I, um, let's see what they've got. Might have to log out to be able to see. So the way uh, most of their programs work is you pay a monthly fee. I'm just trying to see what they have. I don't see what programs they have. And then you get so many credits. Um, it looks like if you're a Prime member for just fourteen ninety five a month, you actually get two credits. The, de- the, okay. the the reason this is such a good deal, some audio books that I've listened to are 30 and $40 for the book. Uh, some are 15, some are, you know, 19, some are 10, whatever. Book prices are all over the board. But a credit always gets you a book, no matter how expensive the book is. So you're paying $14.95 for two credits. What you're really getting are two books, no matter what those book prices are. And then I think right. you end up getting like 10% off or there's some discount on all the other books you buy. So you're only going to get two a month on credits and you're going to be reading two a week. So you're going to buy the others, but you get a discount on those too. Right. All right. Sounds like we've got a plan. Anything else I can help you with today? Uh, I don't think so, Kevin. It's been nice talking to you. All right. Have a good rest of your day, Kevin. All right. Thanks for the call. It's always enjoyable working with somebody who is already doing the right stuff. He's got a great plan there. And if he works this plan, he's almost guaranteed to succeed. Really. Let's let's go to Michigan. Don, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. It's Don. I'm in Michigan today up here seeing seeing Jim Fowler for two days worth of work and then on to Pittsburgh Power. Well, and I can just say that all the stuff you talked about with that guy is just spot on. I'm living proof. I've, I've done all that stuff right by your textbook. Excellent. I, I love that. Tell Jim yep. we said hey. Will do. Yeah, my wife bought that bought the, uh, the, the course for me with the hard copy workbook, the DVDs, the CDs oh, yeah. for Christmas for 2019. And I was only, you know, 18 months into my truck driving as a company driver which I thought, you know, when I went in as a company driver, oh, six months, I'll be ready. I'm glad that it took this marinating time of the five years that I spent. My wife got to spend two years with me and both of us in a company company that took good care of us and, and, and you know, let us go over the whole country and made it a quick, uh, you know, I noticed the guy said something about wanting to go to Landstar, and that's that's exactly what we did. So, Excellent. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really worked out well. I just got a couple of one question for you today, but before that, I'll tell you also to my, my mentor, Steve, he met me in Indianapolis at Flying J yesterday awesome. and we downloaded the profit gauges software and we, we put six settlements in there and I've got a, I've got an accordion file full of receipts. When I get checked in my, into my hotel room this evening or this afternoon, I'm going to go to work on entering those, entering in those receipts and really see, you know, uh, what, what our income looks like. And it may look a little dark this first few weeks but but you know that's part of it i'm i'm, I, I'm uh, just so excited to be I, on this track and doing I, this i'm excited for you and to have somebody like steve meet you personally and help you you know our software is pretty simple i think you've seen that already but it's like anything else 
Mm-hmm. If you have somebody to just walk you through how to do it right the first time, um, that's an awesome advantage. So kudos to Steve. I know he helps a lot of people like that. Uh, but you can already see how, yeah. how simple that process is for putting in settlements. And settlements confuse everybody. You know, they, they are just confusing. Some are worse than others. But once you can start to enter them into our software, they start to make a whole lot more sense. Uh, and you can see now how simple this process is, but how powerful it's going to be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I, I completely uh, could understand when you said your tax people will love you when you hand them your one-page P&L and say, here's, or your, your, here's my annual report, and they can just yeah. say, wow, it, your taxes are basically done for, for the, you. The, the tax report itself, and, and you said hand it to them. We can even go one step better than that. You can just email it to them right out of the program. PDF. But, but it, it, send them a PDF. Wow, that's Yeah, awesome. right out of the program. You just email the PDF right to them. And really what it does. So for a sole proprietor owner operator, there is really one tax form that you add to your your personal tax return. You fill out a Schedule C for the business, which is basically kind of like a profit and loss. But what we did with our software, mm-hmm. and I, as far as I know, it is still the only software on the market that has this. The report that we print out for your tax preparer is basically the Schedule C filled out. That, that's we, we, we thought, <laughs> that's, why, why not just that's where this data ultimately is going to end up in the Schedule C. So why don't we just lay out a report that is the Schedule C and all they have to do is plug the numbers in right where they are. And we even yeah. explain on the report the two biggest mistakes we see tax preparers make because they don't understand trucking. They they make mistakes on depreciation and they make mistakes on per diem. Those are the two big ones because the system of per diem and depreciation is different for owner operators than most other businesses. And we see a lot of mistakes there. So not only does our report look just like the Schedule C, we clearly on the report explain those two issues and how they should be doing it. Oh, that's great. You know, I, I'm going to go back and listen to that. I think you did two, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure two shows, maybe three with that tax guy that came in and explained the adjust yes. rule yep. several months back. I'm going to go back and pull them out of archives and, and listen to them when I get back on the road. So that, um, you know, and at that point, I'll have put all my data in the profit right. gauges. I'll, 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 more of what he says make, will make sense to me. You know, when, when I went to have my taxes handled this year with the lady who's always done my taxes, you know, Steve said, good way to tell she understands trucking taxes is just ask her how she depreciates a truck. Because she says, oh, yeah, I do taxes for a lot of truck drivers. Right. And she says, uh, I think it's five. She says, I think it's five years. And Run the says, other way. No, it's a highway tractor. <laughs> three, three years and four returns. Yeah. Three years and four returns. Correct. And so it, it was a, I, that, that quickly may, let me know that I need to get back to that program and it, get my details out of that program so I can engage it, these people for handling. And, and mine gets a little bit, my, my wife inherited a couple of rental properties a couple of years ago when her mother passed away. So we got to add that element in and not just, right. you know, but I'm so glad you guys are a resource out there for us, Kevin, to, to put us in touch with the right kind of folks. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about that. So I, I said on our tax report, we explain the two issues they tend to get wrong. And I said it was per diem and depreciation. And here's an example. Now, a lot of people might even ask the question, do you handle a lot of truck drivers or owner operators? And she said, yes. All that tells me mm -hmm. is that's a lot of owner operators that got their tax return done wrong because she think, oh, I right. think it's five years. Well, first off, you shouldn't be thinking you should know and second, you're wrong. And here's why. This is why we know this is a problem. So the IRS has a huge section in the code on how to depreciate everything. The, really, depreciation is supposed to be used for any item you buy for your business that lasts longer than a year. Well, first off, that, that can't work because a pencil sharpener might last me longer than a year, but I'm not depreciating it. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. there's always some confusion there because it's never really clear what we're supposed to depreciate and what we're supposed to expense. We would prefer to expense everything. We don't really like the depreciation mm -hmm. system. It makes us wait to get our deduction. So mm -hmm. what happens though, you go to this list and this list is huge. It's got all kinds of stuff on there for every business, every industry, you have to go look up how to depreciate something. Well, when, you're when an owner operator is talking to their tax preparer, they refer to their vehicle as a truck, right? I'm a truck driver, I right. drive a truck. Well, there's where the problem starts. The IRS does not consider what you drive a truck. Steve used the correct nomenclature. They consider that to be a highway tractor. If you look up truck, right. truck does exist, and it is a five-year depreciation. But if you know that you are supposed to be looking up a highway tractor, then a highway tractor has a three-year depreciation. We always want the shortest depreciation possible. We don't want to wait mm -hmm. to get that deduction. We want to get it as soon as we can. So when she makes that mistake, and a lot of tax preparers do this, the IRS will never, ever question that, ever. They don't care they, it, you didn't cheat to get any kind of an advantage. You did something wrong and created a disadvantage. Well, they, they don't care. So they never say anything about this. And I have watched guys go 10 years, 15 years with their tax preparer doing this wrong. And it's, it's costing them money. Wow. 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 Yeah. That, I think you, I think Steve was telling me and, and the, the visual I got on it is the truck that the IRS code is referencing is one of those trucks like Kevin was trying to do the, the drifting on the Michelin track down in South exactly. Carolina with uh, just a box truck. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a five-year property, which is fine, but that's not what right. we have. And we want to get our deduction as fast as we can. So, and then the other hey, thing we explain on there is per diem because there is a totally separate per diem system for anybody that's subject to hours of service. And it's very different. And if you don't know that system exists, then you're doing somebody's tax return wrong. And we see it all the time. Yeah, I don't know that they were my, the company we drove for you. When I called you and told you about I was looking at changing companies when my wife was coming out of school because this new company was going to let me train her. Well, they 
they worked it out of the company I worked with to put my wife with Melody, one of your other callers, and let her spend four weeks with Melody being trained. And then, but we had this great per diem program that, you know, 69 bucks a day, 50 crow fly miles away from the domicile yard. And it, and it put the 69 buck dollars per driver. So each for my wife and I in the bucket. So every week we had about, I don't know, $800 or $463 each on per diem when we go out for 28 days, nice. you know, it was a, it was a right. sweet, sweet program the way it worked. And I don't think my tax lady fully, it was a box on the W2 that she knew how to fill in on her software, but I'm not sure she fully understood it either. Kevin, I want to catch you though, with this one question that I had from sure. so here at Jim's. I mean, I'm, I'm out running on the way back with, from the Freightliner deal with some parts that he's going to be using. But before I came, I went to Summit Racing and, and bought some gauges. I bought a air pressure gauge to for him to put in, get into my my uh, my drive tire airbags so that I can save myself money on scale tickets by oh, yeah. keeping that, yep. knowing that pressure and knowing my gross weight. So he's going to install that for me. I also brought, brought a, bought a transmission uh, temp sensor. And, 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 and I've got three cutouts on the dash. So the transmission temp sensor, he's going to try to put that in. He says, there's might be an if I might end up having to return that. But over at Pittsburgh Power, when I get there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for this week, they were going to put a boost gauge in. And my, my truck's the aerodynamics 2019 Freightliner. So it, you know, I think, I think Eric was telling me the pyrometer is really more for the older pre-admission trucks. And it's just a lot of labor for what the pyrometer would give you. And you know how uh, these, uh, well, anyway, they said that, uh, Jim said, call Kevin and see if he thinks that the, uh, scan tool that they sell would be just as effective. I've got a nine pin hole down there by my left foot on the firewall. Uh, he said it might provide you with the boost information you need. And then you would have one more port. And I thought, well, if I had that one more port, would you, would you do it that way? Would you put the scan tool on it and then put something in that additional port that's going unused, like, you know, I, I was like, I wonder if it would be a diff, a, a, a diff sensor or would do both diffs run at the same kind of heat level. And something that Jim encouraged me to do, which we ordered it on Friday, was get a laser a laser gun. And he said, just measure heat and, yes. and components on the regular. Yep. And you will start learning, hey, that's out of line. Something's, that's low on oil. You can Great. tell by, and I, I went on, I went on to Amazon and they had a, they had this, this temp gun, 36,000 reviews with four and a half stars, 20 on bucks. I mean, I, that's I, a, that's an easy thing to, it, to use. When I travel, that is my most used tool, by far, my temp gun. Every time I get out wow. of the vehicle, and you know, I, if I'm getting fuel, if I'm stopping for a break, if we're stopping for the night, I just, my gun sits right next to my seat. I just grab the temp gun, I walk out, I shoot the hubs, I shoot the tires, I might shoot the the uh, oil pan, the transmission, and you just do that wow. over time and you start to know what those temperatures should be. They're gonna be, they'll vary depending on, you know, how heavy you were, the terrain, the temperature outside. But the more you do it, the more you get used to knowing what they should be and you can catch a problem really early. And now back to the scan gauge. Here's how the scan gauge works. The scan gauge is an awesome tool for a lot of things. So let me let me give you one feature on the scan gauge. I don't talk about it a lot, and it, it does take a little bit of work up front to set it up. You got to sit down with the, the manual and set this up. 
but there is a, a reading on the scan gauge that if you take the time to put in the rate of the load you're on right now, let's say that load's paying, you know, 215 a mile, you put that information in. If you are putting in your fuel ups correctly, and again, you just follow the instructions on how to set this up, you can drive down the road and when you put that gauge up on the display, and you can display four gauges at once on the scan gauge itself, each corner of the Uh display you can put in and you can change those readings anytime you want. So you could be looking at any so like a default a default setting to yeah. show you while you're yep. ro- while yeah. you're rolling. You set okay. it up and then while you're you can change that default as well if you want to look at different things. But one of the things I programmed into our scan gauge, the scan gauge KR, is profit mm-hmm. per mile after fuel while you're driving. Okay. So when you're driving, so you're, let's say, like I said, you're making 215 a mile. While you're driving, the scan gauge is calculating how much fuel you're burning and the price of that fuel. And it will show you in real time, look, you're making $1.70 a mile after fuel. And if you slow down, oh, look, now you're making $1.82 after fuel. And, and is that something, do you enter that? Like, like one? I'm just I, I'm you, constant, now my entering into gauges has gotten harder because now I got to open the Landstar app and go through six screens to get down to my net my real net price on after the discount and it, so it's it's not as efficient as I was and you know I know you've referenced that before got to be willing to do the hard work you, which is tracking you know I tracked my company truck for the last ninety thousand miles before we got out of there it. you go and 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 I, so I'm really used to doing it it's got a little bit more complicated how does it get that data in the scan tool so, to know your prices you, something you enter yes so you're that's what I mean you sit down and I can't tell you exactly how you're, you're going to sit down with the manual and like I said uh, before you start this trip you're going to put in the rate you're getting on that trip but if you're uh-huh. putting in your fuel ups on the scan gauge then it already knows all the other numbers so if you're just entering your fuel and you don't have to enter your fuel ups into the scan gauge tool, but if you do, then you get this new piece of information while you're driving, which is profit per mile after fuel. Pretty cool number to watch. Oh, yeah, I guess you put your gross, what your total cost and how many right. gallons you bought, and it, it's okay. got the two numbers it needs, yep. and then using the, and then it takes one more number of miles and tells you your, 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 your uh, what'd you say, profit, profit per, per mile, mile after, after fuel? fuel. Correct. Yep. That way you can see all day long how your driving is affecting your profit in real time. Right. Well, I didn't want to stress. Let me go back to the other thing about the scan gauge. Okay. So the scan gauge can pull data out of the ECM only. And when we talk about gauges, I would prefer... If I have a manual pyrometer gauge, although on the new trucks, it's not quite as important. I'd still really like to have it and a manual uh, boost gauge. I I would prefer that. So you would go with that manual boost? If I, yes, if I can get it installed on the truck and it's usually fairly easy, I would prefer a manual boost and a manual pyrometer. 
If I okay. if I don't okay. want to do that, and the ECM has the data, and most new trucks, the ECM has all of that data, then we can read it from the scan gauge. The scan gauge is going to give you every available gauge that is in that ECM. You know how if you order a truck, you could sit down and order a crazy gauge package that has everything, or you can get the bare minimum. Well, as long as that data is in the ECM, then the scan gauge can read it. So you can pick up all kinds of new gauges with the scan gauge, uh, intake air temp, uh, there's just all kinds of stuff in there. But the would if but I can I get the electronic data uh, you know uh, for the pyrometer Probably. data that I would have gotten with a manual because he said it Eric said it's quite the job to put the pyrometer into one of these so, newer trucks just because that's it, it really is. about easier but, to do on the older it, trucks it is because it's so much easier to get to the exhaust manifold or right after the turbo depending on where we're going to put it in so the pyrometer data will be in the ECM on this truck. So yes, you could just plug in a scan gauge and you're going to get pyrometer. Okay. So I'll use the manual boost and I'll pick up the scan gauge and set it up and have my pyrometer. What do you just Velcro it right onto your dash somewhere up there where you're yep. coming up as kind of push the cord back as far as you can. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just okay. Mount well, it. that, that it's, it's really small. It's, it's easy to mount. It's mm-hmm. easy to see. The other thing I, you can daisy chain scan gauges. So there's a a connector cable you buy and you can set a second scan gauge right next to it. And then you get eight gauges all at once. So you just see eight different things. I know a couple of people that actually have three, three sitting next to each other daisy chained and they can see 12 gauges all day long. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what I've been doing, you know, and, and one of the and in the course, I think you say you, when you're try, driving for fuel economy, you you try to accelerate like you've got the egg under your accelerator, so you're accelerating gently. And um, I've been watching the in, in between the trip meter and the leg meter on the on the odometer. There's a there's a little green uh, fuel track bar that runs across there, and trying to keep that up above the seven point five to accelerate gently enough. And you know, I I didn't want the stress of coming up here and finding out that one of the receivers had a broken forklift and make me miss my window with Jim and then my, my next window with Pittsburgh power. So I just, I came up here empty and Good. you know, I, I got 9.8 miles per gallon with my, with my, awesome. with my fleet truck. Awesome. You know, I told you last, last week when I called, I got 9.2 on that trip across from California It's 600 miles up here, but 9.8 miles a gallon. I don't feel like I'm out too much to come to such a quality, couple of quality shops to get these things done even if I didn't it, have freight. Now on the way home, I might I might find a load because I don't care if it blows by an extra day. A- absolutely. And, and then I've paid for all my fuel getting up here and back, you know? I, I think that was a smart choice. Don't, don't risk it. These yeah. two stops will set you up to start saving money from day one. So get in, get it done. Right. Don't take the chance that, like you said, missing an appointment, having to try to get back again. I think that was a really smart move. Hey Kevin, one more thing. My truck is my truck is uh four years old. What and is it is it? I, I, it seems like in the course you said uh, when you want to go through and start put, replacing all the rubber like hoses and stuff. Uh, that'd be something I would want to get on the radar. Almost at some never. Point. Is is five years? Almost never. 
I, this has changed over the years. I, I do not see all, any deterioration much. Now, one set of lines we do replace, and it's around 750,000 miles, would be fuel lines. But most other okay. stuff, rubber hoses, heater hoses, that kind of stuff, belts, that, that the quality on those has gone up so much. Um, and, and, and I'm not even just talking about newer trucks. I, I'll give you an example. The last truck I bought was a 99 Volvo. I bought it, when did I buy that truck? Probably around 16, maybe 2016. So when I bought the truck, it was already 17 years old. It had 700 and some thousand miles on it, but almost all of those miles had, put on, had been put on as a team operation in the first three years. Then after that, it was bought by somebody who pulled RVs with it and not RVs commercially, just pulled their RV with it. So now it was getting less than 3,000 miles a year put on it. And wow. it was 17 years old. And I bought it and I said, as an experiment, I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to start driving it. And I'll see what fails and what I should have replaced. Almost nothing. Not a single hose was a problem. No belts were ever a problem. And I drove the truck for a couple of years and then sold it to one of my listeners who is moving uh, hotshot kind of freight with it and has been for several years after that. Um, now, here's what, di here's what did happen. None of the stuff that we expect, the rubber, the belts, the hose, none of that stuff ever caused me a problem. And a lot of it was original. What did happen, which was totally unexpected, and we could have never seen it coming, virtually every 12-7 Detroit I've ever owned, and I've owned dozens of them, all went to 1.2, 1.3 million miles, very, very few problems ever. And then I would either, I would usually get rid of them and, and replace them, but a couple I didn't in-frame on at that point. This one now had just a little over 800,000 miles on it. And I was bobtailing and I was decelerating, coasting, getting ready to pull into a parking lot. And I put a rod through the block. Wow. You'll never see that coming. Wow. It's just one of those things. And it just yeah. happens. And, you know, now I'm looking for an engine. Um, but but the, the stuff that we used to think you know, would deteriorate and wear out over time. Not so much anymore. You know, I went to a truck shop the other day in search of the gauges before they referred me to go to the Summit Racing Place down on the south side of Atlanta. And uh, and they said what the guys at the parts kind of said, you know, these they were echoed really kind of, these engines are built tight. You say that sometimes on a program. We don't see a lot of oil consumption. We don't see people doing in-frames or nope. we see people making it to one three, one four, one five, and and then doing an in-frame. They said they said it, a sensor will fail and crater the engine, not not the actual. Because like, is it does that make sense that they're it, just it, built to such tight specs now that they they are they run better. They are. Uh, uh, there yeah. was there was a time not that long ago. Every single diesel engine on the road burns oil from day one, brand new. We expect it. We always have, for the most part, we would expect that a diesel engine brand new or right after an in-frame is probably going to burn a gallon of oil about 10 to 15,000 miles. 
And when it does, that's fine. We know that's a good, solid engine. That's not true anymore. Mm -hmm. These things will go 50, 60, 75,000 miles and just not burn a drop of oil. Well, haven't our cars been like that for a long, long time? Does anybody's car use oil anymore? Mm-hmm. A, a modern car. Yes, it's uncommon, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if you're, you know, yeah, if you've I got know. some old, you know, 60s, 70s muscle car, yeah, it's going to burn oil probably. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Tr- trucks today just don't burn oil. That's how tight they are. And if they don't burn oil and we don't wear out the, the crosshatch on the cylinders, which we don't seem to be doing, then there's no reason to do an in-frame. We're almost at a point now where you just end up get, getting rid of the truck. I mean, we're, we're just not doing in-frames. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got a friend who's a company driver that was, I worked with, and, and he was telling me, hold it, hold it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it for like the last two years. And then when I shared with him some numbers, off, off some numbers that I had received, he was like, Wow, dude! Now he's actually said, "I'd like to buy that. I'd like to buy your truck when it gets to a million miles, and you and your wife are ready to upgrade because all the stuff you're doing, that, I want right. that truck." <laughs> right? Oh, you know that's been a pretty common so, theme around here for years. Somebody will build a truck, you know, like we talk about, and when it goes to sell, it sells quick, and it sells to some other listener because they know it's got all the stuff. I've they heard. Want. I've, yeah. Yeah, I've heard Bruce mention that a couple of times when he's been on the Power Hour with you and say. Say, uh, we just want you to know we got this truck. He's always maintained it right, yeah, right. here. It's a fantastic truck. And I, I'm like, I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice to get one? But but that's probably more, some of those aren't, you know, we're kind of uh, kind of tenderfoots. We've, we've, we've grown up in, with automatics and the 12-speed auto shift for our both my wife and I both as long as we've been driving. And, and we really like this Freightliner, even though, you know, now that Joel's on the, on the consulting side and for a fee, we'll, we'll spec your truck for you and help you do the whole order and everything. That's in my, in the front of my mind for when this truck wears out, do we get the comp, the, the compounding turbo, uh, Volvo, which, you know, that'll, that'll have all the, that'll get me down to one of the, one of the callers that goes in before me three or four months ago, his was, I think 35 or 37 cents a mile on the, on yeah. the gauges app. You know, I yeah. said, Hey, that pays the payment right there. Absolutely. So one of the things that that's changed in, in, in a good way. So when we talk about, you know, perfect specs for fuel economy, it used to be mm-hmm. that that truck really didn't exist in the market. Nobody was specking trucks really, really well for fuel economy. I shouldn't say nobody. There are a couple fleets. Maverick for a while, we were, you know, recommending buying their used trucks. They were spec so well. Oh, what's the... Messiah Valley, Messiah maybe. Messiah Valley, that's exactly who I was trying to think of. But for the most part, if you wanted to buy the truck used, and there is a reason we want to buy a truck used, and I'll tell you what I consider the sweet spot to be. The problem was you also had to calculate in changing the specs, which could just get expensive. Be much better if we could just buy a used truck specced right. There were just so few of them. That's changing. And, and Volvo is really kind of the leader in this because Volvo is finally uh, helping people spec these things you know, for really good fuel economy right off the bat. So what that changes, 
There was a time where I got to the point where I was only buying brand new trucks. And I was doing it because I wanted very, very specific setups and I couldn't find it on the used market. So I had to order them the way I wanted them. I would much, much rather buy a truck less than a year old, but used and they're out there. That is always the best bargain I've ever found. That that will be the best value in a truck. When somebody buys a truck and for whatever reason gives it up in less than a year, that's the sweet spot for me on bargains. The problem is I couldn't find anything spec'd right less than it. It's, It's hard enough to find a commercial truck that goes back up for sale in under a year. They're pretty rare. And then to find one that right. was under a year and spec right was almost impossible. I did it a couple of times. Now, though, that's going to be much, much easier to do. It's going to be much easier to find that really well spec, almost perfectly spec Volvo. And occasionally, if you keep an eye out, you'll find one under a year and it will be a real bargain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe Joel's. Maybe Joel's invoice uh, price to to do that service for you will include helping you find that 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 yeah. sweet spot truck like that. I don't I don't know how much I see him with his Facebook post and he he seems to be pretty busy guy to me and, oh, and uh, I don't know how much he has to do when he helps somebody source a truck. Um, I, you know it, it's it's one of those things where you're it certainly has to put some time into it. But it's one of those things you're not really paying him for his time right now. You're paying him for his time for the last 30 years. All the work right. he's done in the last 30 right. years okay. makes finding that truck fairly simple for him. And some people will go, well, why are you going to charge me all that money? It's so easy. Well, it's only easy because of all the work he's put in over the last 30 years, and he should get paid for that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna circumvent two months of research for you exactly. and take you to the top two spots where that's at, where people that'll check it and give you a reputable once over on it and tell you tell you its condition and what have you. That yeah, yeah, that's you know that's just one of them things. That's why I'm traveling to MD alignment and traveling to Pittsburgh Power because you know four years in KR University, I uh, I feel like that's a good investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you for the guidance. I'm going to, I'm going to give me one of those scan tools and then, and I'm just going to proceed on with the guys at Pittsburgh Power when I get over there to having that manual boost gauge in the, (laughs) in the one remaining hole that I'll have there. Let me correct one thing. Start calling it a scan gauge, not a scan tool. Here's why. There are, there is a, a category of tools called scan tools. And it's basically software that you would load onto a laptop and then plug into the truck to scan and look for codes and that kind of stuff. And those are referred to as scan tools. Ours is a gauge. So scan gauge and then scan gauge KR. Uh, So the scan gauge already existed on the market. We found it. I played around with it. Then we went to the company and said, hey, we've got some ideas. We can make this better and make it for class eight trucks. And that's where the scan gauge KR came about. It's really our product and somebody manufactures it for us. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll get one of those ordered when I get back home. And, and, uh, thanks again, Kevin, for everything, man. I really appreciate it. I, I, you know, uh, I, I, I learn and I, and I can, I'm over here in the amen corner following the caller that was just on before me going, Hey, I'm living proof here. I've been, I took, I did all that stuff 
textbook. I went, you know, seven months ago, you said, go back through the course again, go back through the course again. And we popped in the CDs or actually I, my daughter moved them over to my iPhone for me so that we could listen to them. The, the fleet truck we were in didn't have a CD player. Now I'm the truck I bought from that company has a CD player and I've actually got them in the truck with me to pop them in and listen to them again. And see, but Oh, on the fuel lines, Kevin, do you think, is that a, is that a, a very expensive thing to have done? It, it can I, be on, I'm, on my truck's the, got seven hundred thousand on it. It can be on the newer trucks. Uh, and here's something else we have to be aware of: is that that may already be changing. And what I mean by that is materials constantly get better. You know, I just talked about some hoses we just never replace anymore. They just last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, tires, we used mm-hmm. to say five years on a commercial tire, no matter what the tread depth is. We're changing that. Now it seems to be seven. These things don't fail at five oh. years anymore. It's seven. is So at some point, maybe we push that fuel line thing out to a million miles, or maybe we don't need to replace them yet. It, it's just something we, we so, constantly keep an eye on, but on on all of the like pre-emission stuff we were running, all the Series 60s, the N14s, all of those, we always recommended 750,000 miles. So it, it's one of those things where how we, we might have to go back and take a look at this again. Well, will the Hawkeye report help me yes. identify that? They'll be looking yep. into that. Yeah. Okay. And, and, okay. And, That's and, on the radar for Wednesday, Thursday. And, the, and Pittsburgh Power also knows other ways to give you some advice in that. They can look at the type that's on there and they could say, look, we're really not seeing any problems with these. And then I'd let them go. Good deal. Good deal. Okay, Kevin, I, I really appreciate it, man. I've taken up a lot of your time today, but thank you so much for all the guidance. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, you know, today... This doesn't happen often, but today was one of those days I really didn't want to go to work. That that doesn't happen often for me. I love what I do. Um, I've been pushing things lately, both physically and mentally, working on projects. And um, then in the weekend, in the off hours, I'm doing a lot of physical stuff. And um, Lisa and I, over the last two weekends back to back, have had parties here at the house and when we do a party, it's there's a lot of work with food. We do a, a lot. Uh, Lisa really did most of it the last two weeks, but uh, I've been out in the garden a lot. I, I just I pushed and pushed and pushed, and I'm at a point now where I'm not recovering well. I need to take some time off and work on the stress protocol again and get back to doing that and kind of recover some. So I went through all that to say I really didn't feel like working this morning, and that's unusual, but I'm so glad I did. Two great calls today. I love those kind of calls. Somebody who has worked through the process and is seeing the advantages already, and somebody just getting started on the process, but somebody who's had already done a lot of the hard work and had a really solid plan. So I'm glad I came to work today. Uh, Let's see. I will wait just uh, a minute or two to see if we get any other calls. And if not, I I might just take it easy today. Who knows? Maybe I'll uh, have so much to do, but maybe I'll take the rest of the day and start working on the stress protocol again and try to start recovering. I've pushed just a little too far this time.
So uh, a couple things I could talk about while I'm waiting for just a couple minutes. Um, looking at some indicators for what might happen with the freight market. And I was looking at uh, FreightWave sonar on their containers. And it looks like container volume has already peaked. Um, you know, they've been warning us that it looked like we were going to have a very weak peak season, but it looks like it was even worse than what they were predicting. And container volume really has a big impact on our freight volumes as well. So um, that's not a good sign. It might indicate that we actually haven't found the bottom of the freight market. And I don't believe we have. One of the reasons I don't believe, for a while there, I thought maybe we were finding a bottom. But the more I go over numbers like mats even, and I see how strong some of these rates still are. Matt is still making two, if I remember right, 271 or 274 a mile, all miles. That's not a freight recession, not a, not a full-blown freight recession. I get it. Rates are down in a lot of places. Volumes are down. And, and we were kind of bouncing along what I thought was the bottom. I don't think that it is. All right, calls are starting to pile up, so I should probably go to those. Let's uh, let's go to Pennsylvania. Dan, welcome to the program. Yes, hello, Kevin. Uh, glad to be talking to you. What's on your mind uh, today? I did miss most. I missed most of your show today, but I just thought I'd call in with something that uh, you talk about a lot about building relationships. And I hear some of the guys calling, complaining about shops, and yeah, occasionally there's an issue, but there's two shops I've built relationships with near me, and it's taken 10 years. The one's about 15. I've dealt with them. And one of the things I've enjoyed a lot about that, well, they both know where I live, so that's an advantage. But uh, I can drop a truck off. They can fix it, and I can pick it back up. I mean, they tell me it's done. That's why I pick it up. But having paid the bill, they know I'll stop in because I'm close, and if they wanted to, they could come knock on my door and just how nice that's been, that relationship that I can pick it up after their hours are done and stop back and pay the bill and not that they're holding my truck ransom till, yeah. till they get their money. It, that's really been nice. It, it You know, there are so <clears throat> many advantages to building good business relationships and you're, you're outlining some for a shop. It, it just... It makes everything work better. It just really does. And and on the customer side, I pull customer freight, which is stressful because it makes, for me, makes taking time off hard because if I don't take care of them, you right. know, they're going to go right. somewhere else. But my one customer for three years now has given me an end-of-the-year Christmas bonus that is $1 makes it a five-figure bonus. Wow. It's yeah. an unbelievable blessing. That That's so, incredible. Uh, I, I, and again, that, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, when I talk about building relationships with brokers or customers or shops, I get all kinds of pushback. Oh, they're just dirtbags. Oh, they don't want to build a relationship anyway. Uh, 
if I come across somebody in business that is not interested in building a relationship and and we're going to be able to do business together, then I just move on. Anybody in business not not willing or excited about building relationships, well, then I don't want to deal with them anyway. And you do have to go find the customers and the shops and it's hard work. And most people won't bother. And I'll have people call me and they'll go, I've tried, I've been through all four shops that are near my house. There's only four shops within 60 miles. I've been to all four of them. They all suck. Uh, Okay. Well, then you're going to have to find number five then. And if five doesn't work, then you're going to have to find number six. And if you can't find one within 60 miles, I guess you're going to have to go out to 80 miles or a hundred or... Or if you're really serious about succeeding in business, you might even move. And people think, move? Are you crazy? What do you? I've moved businesses several times to create advantages. I moved my trucking business out of Ohio to Florida for several business advantages, and they all paid off. Yeah, I my was a little different in that. I've kind of developed my business around what I'm seeing in my area, what, what the freight is and say, instead of just like, I'm only going to pull this trailer, you know, that's what I'm going to do as some guys are. Right. No, for me, it's like, well, they need this, they need this type of trailer. So, okay, that's what I've got. And that's what I service them. The customer, like the type of businesses I'm seeing around me. Yep. And that's that's what I've been doing for about 15 years now. Excellent. So, Excellent. All right. Yep. Great so. stuff. We are going to head off to Texas. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. I didn't expect to get in this quick. I was going to try to get into the Twitter spaces on Friday, but it was like you gave the four-minute warning, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Paul said you went on for another 30 minutes, but I was, I was like, I got to go pressure wash underneath this damn truck. So <laughs> I, it wasn't getting I, any cooler. I got to get the spaces thing under control. I get sucked into these conversations. And then I, I, the other day, I forget what day it was, Wednesday, maybe. I was actually live for six hours straight with no, well, I had the 15 minute break in between the live show and the space to get the space set up. But I went six hours with no breaks. And like I said, I'm not getting other projects done. I'm not getting other work done. I enjoy it, but I've got to get those things under control. And I, 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 several times I'll say, all right, it's the two minute warning. And then the next day I know I look up and I'm 20 minutes later again. Well, think of it. Think of it this way: you're building relationships. I guess so. You're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like if more people jump in and it keeps going, well, then you know, kind of like you're drawing more people in. So I look at that as a good thing. If you were able to continue with, you know, uninterrupted for that long, it's like I don't think that's a bad thing. No. So no, anyway, it, so like I said, it's, it's, it's good and I enjoy it, but I, I at some point I got to get a little control over those and uh, get back to work. Yeah, a little more organization, but that'll come. Yeah. Uh, so it's the second half of the year. It started really a week ago, and uh, uh, or a little more than a week ago, and I always like to look at my numbers from the end of the, and this goes back to, they were talking on the spaces about building relationships. And this one guy was like, he didn't really buy into it, Mac or whatever. And, uh, but I can tell you right now, somebody who's made every mistake in the book. And I've told you that 
Like, okay, so as of the 30th of June, of June 59,008 miles is what I've done. And that's on 216,000 of revenue for 3.67 cents a mile on all miles. Because I just track all miles. I just went back and pulled up my ELD from the from the January 1st to the 30th, and I just divided it out. And here's another interesting uh, here's another interesting number here. Uh, the, uh, so my revenue a year ago at this point was 227. However, when you go back this year and you look at the fuel, fuel a year ago was 49,000 and change 49,600 and this year it's 39,787 and keep in mind these these people I pull, pull for predominantly I get a fuel surcharge on my rates so I'm off the revenue by about 10,000 and fuel's off by about 10,000 so I, I'm kind of on the same track as I was last year to you know if it keeps up to knock it up and, and I don't say this on here to brag about myself, but because I, I I owe everything that I do right now to listening to you, my friendship with Paul, my relationship with Pittsburgh Power, my relationship with David Counts, the OPS, everything, MD alignment, and uh, it, it's it's I'm, I'm just saying this because it can be done even in a bad market. <laughs> I mean, granted, I'm doing cars, but yeah. I mean. And here's another thing. Last last Thursday, I dropped off at the New Orleans airport some rental cars, and there was nothing. All the all the manufacturers are closed for a week or two right now because they're retooling the, their new models. And so I had to come back from New Orleans to Houston, the Houston area empty. And I got back late that night, and I'm like, I feel like such a loser. I came back empty. That's the first time I came back empty since. Like ever, <laughs> I mean, even even when I was doing doing the shit crap that right. I was doing before any of this, I never came back empty, and I came back empty, and I was like, I, I felt like the loneliest guy on earth. I bet. So yeah, and it just made me it it, it really pissed me off because I want to win. I'm in it to win it, and and. I say it really pissed me off. It just was a bad feeling. And it's I like, I don't want to feel that way again. I feel like I lost. <laughs> yeah, so you'd rather go do the hard work so you don't have to feel like that. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, it's just one of those things. It was just the time of the year when I yeah. took the load. I thought, well, right. something will show up. And, and I got over there, and it's like, we don't have anything. We don't have anything. I mean, I could go over here. It didn't make financial sense. I ran every scenario I could possibly do. So, yeah, I was like the thing about going over and going down to Florida and come back with some something out of Brunswick, but that disappeared, and it was just like, well, it just makes better sense to go back and pressure wash on Friday. So yeah, that's what I did, and I'm, so yeah, I, I'm going back out to start it all over again this morning. But yeah, I I saw a statistic so, this morning that that has to have an impact on what you're doing, and maybe we're already seeing some of it. I if I remember right. The statistic was lease turn-ins are down 83%. People are not well, turning in their leases at the end of leases the way they used to. They used to turn in the lease and, and just go and get a new one. And that, that that is now down 83%. Well, and that's probably because they 
such a shortage and they were probably paid so much that they figure they might as well just pay it off. I don't know because the car market got upside down. No, but that, that other side of the industry, the spot market's all it's all upside down right now. It's in turmoil. It's, it it, it is. as much it's, turmoil as the freight side right it, now. Yeah, it's a mess because it, it, there is freight involved, so it's a mess like every other freight segment. But then cars themselves are a big thing. You know, what people do with cars, are they buying new cars? Are they turning in their leases? That that has a huge impact on, on our economy and on, you know, the that segment of the trucking market. And you are correct. Um, I forget what year. So I, I this last vehicle we bought was the first time I've ever done a vehicle lease. Uh, I was never wild about leases. They will almost always end up costing you a little more money. And and the thing with leases, people just tend to keep releasing, you know, and, and that's where it really gets expensive to lease. Whereas I typically buy vehicles and then keep them a very long time. One of the reasons we decided to lease this one, one, I'm at a place in my life where those kind of financial decisions just aren't as much of a big deal as they used to be. If I spend a little more money on a vehicle, you know, it's okay. Uh, The other reason was I was really thinking, and this goes back to 2017 or 18 when we bought this last vehicle, was that I didn't want to buy a vehicle that I was going to keep a long time because I was really thinking about buying an electric vehicle. I've changed my mind. I will do everything I can to resist electric vehicles now because of what they're doing and how they're pushing it. It just pisses me off. So I'm not going down the road of the electric vehicle. So, but I got completely lucky just timing. We actually did what we did a single payment lease for four years. So we wrote them a check and had the vehicle for four years. And it significantly reduced the cost, obviously, because there's no interest or time value in the lease payment. At that point, we were able to negotiate a pretty significant discount. Then when the it, the vehicle came up and the lease was over, we were, if I remember right, we were like $12,000 over value, over market value. I would have been insane not to buy that vehicle out. So then we just bought out the the rest of the lease and we still have it. But you're right. A lot of that could have been going on. People were had so much um, equity if they just buy out the lease that a lot of people may have chosen to do that. But then that does have so here's an impact something interesting. on the market. So- so here's something interesting. Friday, the, the other day, Wednesday, I took that load to New Orleans Airport. It was rental cars, and it went to one of the major companies. It was nine Hyundai Kona e-cars, nine. I mean, I've never taken a wow. full load of nine cars, but apparently the rental car companies are getting a tremendous amount of electric vehicles because I'm going to California with my daughter a week from Thursday, a week from Wednesday, and I was going to rent a car. And you have your choice of a regular car or an e-car. And you do in Europe, too, because I priced them for later this year, rental cars over there. You have a choice of a diesel or an e-car. And apparently the rental car companies are buying, I would say they're probably buying the bulk of the cars now because I mean, I've so, never taken nine e-cars anywhere. It's that's always a lot. Too. Yeah. Um, the other thing I read this yeah, morning. Yeah, and then we're I, and, uh, I follow a couple car guys. Now, the car guys I follow 
are actually dealer consultants. So these are guys that buy and sell or broker car dealerships. So they're watching the market from that side of things, from a dealer's perspective. And the, the reports I've been seeing for the last several months is that all these electric cars are sitting. Nobody's buying them. So maybe the rental car companies are snatching them up. But from what I gather, the electric well, car maybe. sales are not as much as they expected they were going to be. Well, these are coming from the factory, and it's you know these these of course these are made in Korea, and they come over, and it's like that. I mean, they're going directly. They're not even going to the dealership or whatever. They're just going. And it's like I'm not surprised that they're sitting because it's. I mean, it's like where are you gonna where are you gonna charge that? I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of charging station. I mean, I saw one. I went to see the movie yesterday, and it was like there was a charging station right there. I heard this noise. What's this buzzing? Yeah. Oh, a D car charging station. I, I so, am probably yeah. the ideal person to buy an electric vehicle. I could I would charge it at home. I would just yeah. put in home charging. I do live in a state that even though I'm in a tiny, tiny little town, we don't have a traffic light, but we do have a charging lot. There are several chargers right here in town I could use. I could use home. I don't commute. I don't really travel much. And when I do, it's it's either very short distance, fairly local, or I'm just gone, gone out on the country traveling. I, I, I could buy an electric vehicle and it would be almost ideal for me. It would probably work really well, uh, but I'm not going to. Again, I, I was planning on it. I hate the way they're pushing this. Um, but uh, here's, here's something else that I've said. If I were to buy an electric vehicle, there's only one I would even consider. And it's a Tesla. And the only reason is because all of these other cars have zero track records. These are all brand new models. And this is a radical change in car building. I don't trust most of these new electric cars on the market. And there's already some evidence we're going to start seeing new problems with vehicles. I follow another guy who does a lot of towing. He owns a towing company. And he has towed back in, I forget how many of the new Amazon electric vans. And the, the CV joints are failing really quickly. And they can't get new CV joints, so these things are being parked. That's the kind of stuff I would stay away from. These new vehicles are yeah. going to yeah. have problems. These companies, I mean, when have you ever seen a car company put out five brand new models in one year. Never. Nobody ever they does don't. that. But Mercedes and BMW just released five brand new electric vehicles. Oh, hell no, I'm not buying one of those things. I've hauled those before, and they're, they're, they they weigh five to 6,000 pounds. They're heavy. They're, uh, no, they're heavy. way more than a pickup truck. Yeah, no way am I buying one of those. Tesla has got a gazillion miles of, of real-world experience, and their vehicles are pretty reliable. But I don't trust anybody else's right now. Now, here's here's another thing to think about in the whole scheme of the economy with cars and all like that. So as in, here in America, we don't have trains. We drive. We drive everywhere. We'll drive around the corner to borrow a cup of sugar. Yeah. There are so many vehicles on the road, you have to think of the attrition rate besides just people buying them. One of the things that happened during COVID when they shut all the manufacturers down 
and, and why the cars just ran out is because the attrition rate. People didn't stop wrecking cars. Cars didn't stop wearing out. Cars didn't stop just completely failing and, and wrecking. Uh, and it was just the attrition rate from the, the point of view of the vehicles is just there's a certain amount out there that has to be replaced every year. And uh, so, and the vast, the, the one thing I've learned in this side of the hauling cars and coming from working in the, in the uh, energy industry is there's two industries that run the economy in America, the automobiles and the energy. There are so yeah. many jobs. It's not just hauling cars. It's making cars. It's the parts to make the cars. It's everything to do with energy. Energy takes energy to build cars. Those two industries right there run the economy. And when you just think about the scope and size of each one of them from, from, from A all the way to Z through the supply chain, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, a lot going on and a lot happening. It, it's really hard to predict where we're going. So many old patterns are now changing. And I just don't see the autonomy. Oh, uh, I tagged you in a uh, Twitter post that they've learned to put uh, cones out in San Francisco on some autonomous vehicles and and cause them to be immobilized. Yeah, that's just a regular old construction cone. They place, (laughs) they put it on there, and it's like they're just the the bums that go around and put it on there, and then the car can't do anything. (laughs) So I'm sure that wasn't thought about when they were making these. But I I guess I don't understand the point. They're doing this on a parked car. Yeah, because they can't so, go anywhere. Well, I know, but all I have to it's do is stop. Is, is, somebody has to come out and well, oh, take somebody. If it's an it's it's an oh, it's a autonomous oh, car, so somebody has to come autonomous. out. Fully autonomous. Okay. I, yeah. I had yeah. thought they were doing it on things like Teslas, where no. you have self driving mode. No, and, oh, no, oh. no. And those fully autonomous vehicles they got running around oh, San Francisco, they're going around that, putting cones on there, just screwing them up, and they can't. It's immobilizing them. Now that makes sense. Holy, see, that's the kind of stuff nobody ever thinks of. They didn't think about this when they made those. Nobody thought about that. Nope. Nope. I mean, and that's that's what you get with new new types of products. It's like they don't think they think of a lot of things and designs and where to put things and all like that, but they think of everything. Yeah. No. And, and then, it just takes one of these things to 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 yep. disrupt it. Yep. I agree. <laughs> All right, good stuff. I mean, that that just shows you we're even. Fr- we're, okay, have yes. a good one. Yeah, thanks. We are. We're. we're uh, we don't have to be a long way away from this. We could have done this much better, but this whole green push from the government is going to screw all of this up. Let and, and that's their plan. Let's uh, let's go to Illinois. Dale, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I had a question about uh, my blood sugar. I tell you what, uh, I have have going on. I, about a week and a half ago, I wanted to get my uh, medical card renewed, and I had forgot to get it renewed before it expired, so I got a phone call from my wife, and uh, she kind of laid into me about being irresponsible about that. And of course, that got me upset, and this and that, and then, uh, then we were trying to find a place for me. Uh, I was driving, of course, uh, to try to get it done, and when I found a found a place and I went in there. Long story short, I didn't pass. Um, they said that my uh, blood pressure was like 170 over something. I can't remember what the bottom number was. My blood sugars were uh, over 250 and she said I had a 3 plus glucose in my urine 
and uh, I didn't pass my vision test. So she, the doctor let me sit there for 10 minutes and uh, tried to calm, I guess tried to calm down or whatever, but I was already upset because I was wanting to get it passed and then my wife kind of got into it a little bit over it and I didn't pass again. Um, so then it probably took a week before I could get another appointment. I got another appointment and my blood pressure was uh, went down to 138 um, over 73 and my sugars are at 143 and I passed that vision test. Um, can you tell me why I was all over the board like that? Uh, yeah. In the meantime, I also to the vision. I went to a vi- uh, eye doctor, uh, got my eyes checked out. They said I didn't need glasses. I passed all the vision tests that they gave me. Why? Why was? Why was Both. I all over the board like that? Well, let's start with the vision. Both the blood pressure and the blood sugar could have affected it. So if you've been, and there's only two possibilities here. One, they didn't know how to give the test properly, um, or those things were affecting your vision. There's not a lot we're going to do with vision right now, so let's just set that one aside. Let's focus on the two real problems. Um, Why are you all over the board? Because everybody always is. I mean, it's not unusual. I I can... um, I can increase somebody's blood pressure in 30 seconds. I could increase or change somebody's blood sugar in no time. These two numbers can be all over the board. Now, we want them to be more consistent. There's really only one way to do it. And I'm pretty sure if you listen to the show, you know what I'm going to say. Diet? Yeah, that's it. If your blood sugar and blood pressure are out of control, then your diet is out of control. Well, I... I have, I've talked to you earlier about uh, weight loss, and I, I started at 335 pounds, and I'm, not, and I'm now down to 270. Excellent. Um, but but mean, let, let's stop okay. for just a second. What would you consider your normal healthy body weight to be? Oh, my gosh. I, I really don't know. I'd like to get down to – I would like to get down to 200, but that's probably not that – question you're asking no it's a absolutely the question i'm asking yeah what 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 do you think you're based on your height your physique all of those things what do you think your ideal body weight is and i mean perfect around 220 okay so what that that, you're still 70 pounds overweight i mean there's no way i what you're doing is fantastic and you should keep doing it but the reason we're all over the board on these numbers is you still got a ways to go. Oh, I agree 100%. And, and here's, here's one of before, the things I know. If you can achieve a blood sugar of 250, you've got a problem. I don't think it would be possible for me. I think I could start consuming well, sugar and my body would deal with the sugar to a point where I would never, ever be able to get my number that high no matter how hard I tried. So when I see those numbers, it tells me that you are still very, very insulin resistant. And that just that that will fix itself over time. My wife has checked my blood sugar before this. She's diabetic. So this has been years ago, but uh, she had uh, Uh, checked my sugars right after I had uh, drank a soda and it never changed. You're you're diabetic, by the way. uh, Well, that was going to be my next question because in that meantime, uh, before I passed my uh, physical, 
we have been monitoring my sugar. Her and I have been, and it fluctuates between uh, about 138 to 143 um, after me, after two hours after every meal. And she said that's really really good. That's but it's still not. Well, for, first great. off, it's it's not really really good. It's not at all. Hold on. I, I understand, but you're taking advice about diabetes from a diabetic. If they understood diabetes, they wouldn't be diabetic. There is no reason for anybody to be a type 2 diabetic. None. The only reason is what we put in our mouth every day. So she is being coached by doctors who are telling her, oh, these are good numbers. You have your diabetes under control. We don't want diabetes under control. We don't want diabetes, period. So two, two hours I, after I a meal, 140 is not a good number. That is telling me you are diabetic. Anybody who can show up what at 250 is diabetic. We should never go above 140, ever. If we're okay. above 140, we are now doing damage to our body. You had two readings that were both fasting, right? Your doctor's doing these fasting, yeah. aren't? So you were two fifty fasting. That is full blown oh, diabetic. I'm sorry. Oh. No, no, the doc. When I went in there, I need to tell you. When she asked me if I had ate anything, and about an hour before I came in there, I I had had lunch. This whole process is this whole process is ignorant. There is no way they should yeah. take your blood sugar unless it's fasting. If they're taking your blood sugar in anything other than a fasted state, it's worthless information. Unless we do a full blown uh, insulin challenge where we set a baseline, we take it one hour after we eat, two hours after we eat, three hours after we eat. And I know doctors aren't doing that, but for a doctor to have somebody walk in, pull a blood sugar reading without fasting is a total waste of time. Now, it does tell me something again, whether you ate or not, there's no way you should be able to register 250. That, that in my mind makes you diabetic, that one number alone. The next time you were at 143, uh, again, you're still yeah. extremely elevated for a fasting number. And if you weren't fasting, then we just throw it out because it's worthless information. Here's what I would recommend you do. I would recommend you get a continuous glucose monitor. Okay. Then you'll know you're diabetic and you'll see everything that's impacting it. And unless you... Radi and it sounds to me like you have radically changed your diet. You've lost a lot of weight. You need to continue with that, and you may even want to change it more. Because here again, what did you have for lunch that, that put you at 250? Tell me what the meal was. Uh, I had a uh, hamburger, cheeseburger and fries and a 20-ounce soda the day I went in to get my uh, So pistol. So how did you lose 70 pounds? Uh, well, I, uh, cut out all my grains, mostly my breads. Uh, well, wait, hold on, and, uh, hold on, I hold on, hold on, I, 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 words matter in the way people, you knocked out all of your grains, you said, and then most of your breads. Are you eating grain-free bread? Well, yes, there's, 
one and the same. <laughs> no, they're one and the same, yes. Oh, so that's right. a, That's an incorrect statement. And when people say that, it makes that's me correct. suspect everything they're saying. We, we tend to be very loose with the facts. So a burger, was that with a bun? That was just a cheeseburger uh, and a bun and French fries. Uh, uh, yeah, not just a cheeseburger. It was a cheeseburger on a bun, French fries, and a soda, yep. which is the definition of the standard American diet. Fast food with all the garbage. Correct. So as long as and you keep doing you that, that. Uh, you can tell me the last time you had it. It was that day. Well, no, before that. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, stop uh, it, because something is keeping you diabetic. Your number, and as long as you keep doing this once in a while kind of stuff, and, and sodas and French fries and and burgers with buns, and you will remain diabetic. And every time you go back to get your physical card, this is what you're going to deal with. Well, and I agree hundred percent. It's hundred percent my fault. Uh, I got myself into this and I'm trying to get myself out of it is, and I know I got to work harder on my diet as well. Is there any type of, uh, like a bird? I thought I heard no. you say that like, this, well, or something st- like we'll, that. we'll stop for a second. There is no supplement that will allow you to not change your diet dramatically. None. Berberine, with the way you're eating, is going to do almost nothing. Okay. How long has your wife been diabetic? She's been diabetic since 2002. 20 plus years. Now I'm sure she's on multiple drugs. Oh my gosh, she is, and I don't want to get to so, I, so no, I told the doctor I, I do not want to go that route. So if there are no drugs that can cure diabetes, there are absolutely no supplements that can cure diabetes. The only thing that cures diabetes is diet, nothing else. Okay. Now, once you get your diet right, then there are supplements that can make things better. But that's all they do. They, they can't solve the problem on their own ever. We have no supplements in the store that really solve a problem. They supplement a good diet. That's why we call them supplements. Okay. So right. yes, berberine is the supplement you're thinking of that you've heard me talk about. And it is a very, very simple, single nutrient. It comes from a berry, it's very natural. It's, it is effective at controlling blood sugar, but I, I don't want to sell somebody berberine if they're not going to change their diet. Right. Well, this this whole ordeal has been a wake-up call. I was pretty much scared, scared to death whenever they told me those numbers. And, Good. Uh, yeah, I, it was a great wake-up call. Yeah. I mean, really, it was. And that's good. I mean, I mean that, that's, sometimes that's what we need. We just need to, re- you know, because here's the thing. You did make some pretty drastic changes. I know you did if you lost 70 pounds. But I think what started happening is you started thinking that, oh, look, this is wonderful. I can eat a burger and fries and soda again. No, you can't. Not ever. Not ever. I will tell you that. If you want to be healthy, the food we eliminate out of our diet to lose weight and get healthy should never, ever come back into our diet. This is permanent. The only exception, 
I, I will make an exception to what I just said. We do eliminate fruit. We eliminate natural sweeteners, you know, maple sugar, honey. We eliminate those in the beginning. Once you get metabolically healthy, I believe it is okay to add some of that back in in small amounts. I've been doing it for years. I eat fruit every day, eat a little bit of honey every day. But I, I, you really shouldn't do those things until you get metabolically healthy. And then we should bring them back in in very, very small amounts. But you will never, ever see me drink a soda, eat a burger with bun. Um, I really try to avoid eating French fries out. Um, I will make some French fries at home because I, I can handle some potatoes. But the, the problem out is a French fries just as bad or worse than the soda because it's high carb and it's cooked in horrible seed oils. I never thought about that. Yeah, right. I, you know, I've, I've made the statement, I think grains are the worst thing in the American diet for our health, but there are lots of doctors now, Dr. Mercola, several others who actually believe seed oils are the worst thing in our diet. Well, um, I want to ask you about the glucose monitor. How does how does that work? Uh, is that something you wear on your wrist, or how, you how does, you attach how, how it, you attach like a little disc? It's a little flat disc, and it comes with this device, and you attach it to a fatty part of your body. Some of them recommend like on the belly. Um, the one I use recommends the back of your arm, where you've got you know some fat there. It's a tiny, tiny little thread-like needle that goes into your skin. You don't even feel it when it goes on. And then it's adhesive so that it sticks there. And each sensor lasts for two weeks. There are three different, there may be more, but there are three companies I'm aware of. Dexcom, um, Nutrisense, and I'm drawing a blank on the other. Oh, Libre, Freestyle Libre. Those are the three types of sensors on the market. They're all virtually identical. The sensors are almost identical. The software for each one is a little different. So each sensor lasts two weeks. You install it and then you don't have to do finger sticks anymore. That sensor monitors your blood sugar in real time for two weeks straight and you scan it with your phone and it tells you your blood sugar every 15 minutes. Oh, okay. So you can check your blood sugar a hundred times a day if you want. You never have to poke yourself again. Okay. And so how can I, how can I follow, can I just follow up with you like weekly or how? Yes. Because I like to keep. Yeah. And if, if you get uh, a continuous like glucose monitor and you can, before you call each day or when you call, have a PDF version or be most of the apps I've seen like Nutrisense, you can share your information right out of the app pretty easily. Um, if you're willing to do that, when you call, you could send me that right then and I'll go over those results with you. Now, here's the other thing. The app is also going to allow you to enter everything you eat. And I'm not a big believer in we should be writing all this stuff down and tracking and measuring. That's a pain in the ass. I don't think, but for a limited period of time, I do recommend it. 
There's a lot we can learn. And then after a while, you learn all this stuff. You don't need to keep doing it the rest of your life. But if you are really accurate about putting all your food in there, and then you send me that data, I can tell you exactly what's going on with your blood sugar. That's with the NutriSense one, or is that with the law? Any of them. Yeah, and, and I will tell you, go back to your doctor first and see if he'll write you a prescription because then insurance will pay for it. Okay. So I like okay. NutriSense, and we, we, we don't have a formal partnership. There's no money changing hands, but I like NutriSense, so we bring them on the show, and they share data with me. So uh, it's just a good partnership for us. So I like when people use NutriSense, but it's fairly expensive. And if you can get this done through insurance, you should. Because like I said, all the sensors are the same. Okay. okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. I'll look forward to Sounds hearing good, back then. from you. Congratulations on the work you've done. Don't give up yet. Don't don't backslide yet. Let's, uh, Paul, looks like you're going to get the final word today. What's on your mind? Oh, carnival. No, for that last guy. Hardcore carnival. That's what it he needs to works do. Works every time. Yep. yep. Works every time. Yeah, so. Um, Speaking of hardcore so, carnivore, um, I say yep. all the time that my meat now, all of my animal products, 90, maybe even 95% is all regenerative grass fed. There are a couple exceptions and I just wasn't thinking and I knew we had a big party and we were cooking for like seven people and I forgot to order steaks for this party from my normal sources. And by the time I realized that it was too late, and I thought, all right, I'm gonna run to Costco. Uh, it's not the best beef in the world, but they usually uh, have, uh, I wanted to do big, thick tomahawk ribeyes for the fun of it. Well, I got there too- Did you find some lamb chops from New Zealand? I love lamb chops from New Zealand. It's one of my favorite foods. But yeah. no, I didn't get those. They didn't have any tomahawks. It was too late in the day. They didn't have any good looking steaks. So I ended up buying the whole primal, like a, you know, a 19 pound ribeye, uh, the whole cut. And then I cut all my own steaks. They were incredible. Yep. I was cutting like four inch steaks. They were, so one steak was like three meals. They were so big. But they cook yeah. so well when you when you cut them that thick. And we got to say, I haven't talked about this much, but uh, Lisa got me a big green egg for my birthday this year. And not the very, very biggest one, but the next step down. I love that thing by far. And I've had, in my lifetime, I've had every kind of grill you could possibly imagine. Electric, propane, infrared, pellet grills, smokers, just everything you can imagine for outdoor cooking. I've had it. And hands down, I love this big green egg. Good deal. My neighbor has one of those. He God, brags I, about it too. So. I, I can, yep. I can get the inside of that grill and it's not even that hard to a thousand degrees. Oh, you, you cook your DPS filter in there. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another use for the big green egg. There you go. <laughs> so, um, I went work last Wednesday. I deadheaded from my house in Oklahoma, which is just south of Oklahoma City, and I deadheaded right down to Freeport, Texas, which is the best part of 500 miles. Picked up a load that went to Broken Arrow in Tulsa. Delivered that on Thursday. Went deadhead back all the way back down to Freeport, Texas loaded another load that came to 
Midwest City, Oklahoma, but I brought it to my house on Saturday. So 12 hours Wednesday, 12 hours Thursday, 12 hours Friday, five hours Saturday, three hours this morning to leave home, go deliver it, and come back home. So I got about 44 hours of work time, 50% empty, uh, $6,510, miles roughly, 294 a mile, 50% empty. Pretty happy with that. So yeah, yeah. I'll continue doing that this week. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, like I said, we are in a weird, weird situation. We're clearly in a freight recession. We're looking for a bottom. All the numbers are down, except not for everybody. There are a lot of people that it yeah. seems like they've just chosen not to participate in this freight recession. And you sound like you're one of them. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah. You're yeah, just, you're just going to skip not, this one. I don't participate in recession. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Because um, this is contract freight. The, the, the fuel surcharge money, it, it, it changes, but I don't care. It's something says the fuel price. So we're good. I can yep. keep money. I can 50% empty and nearly $3 a mile. I can make money out of that. So. <laughs> That's for sure. And I only, only had to load, only had to load, only had to load and unload 20 vehicles to do that. So Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I met a guy the other night. He's leased onto the same company I'm leased onto. I've seen him around before, but never really talked to him. So we get talking on Friday night, and uh, he's like, "Oh, so that's how you get ten of those little SUVs on?" Uh, yeah, and he's like, "I think I'll ask for another one." I said, "Well, what year's your trailer?" Well, he has a 2020 trailer. Well, they made some modifications on it, but I've made modifications on my trailer so I can do the ten unit load. And I said, "You won't fit them on." And I showed him what. Oh, well, what if I loaded it like this? I said, it won't work. You won't get it low enough loading it like that. Oh, oh, okay. So then we start talking about trucks. He's got a Cummins pad, just like me, 600. And he says, so what are you getting for fuel mileage? I said, oh, I'll bring it up on your app. 90-day average, 5.51. And he goes, wow. Wow is right. About a mile, mile point, 1.2. He's like, you're, you're, he says, I'm at 4.3. I said, what? I said, you go to the poor house, dude. So I worked it out on 120,000 miles at three dollars a gallon. It's eighteen thousand three hundred. I am. You go into the. I just started to do the math. Why? And you already did it for me. So thank you. That's exactly what I was going to do. You two could do the exact same amount of work, and you will get paid eighteen thousand dollars more to do it. Which is fifteen hundred and thirty dollars a month. A month. Yeah. A month. So that's that's a lot. Yeah, that's why I that's why I only yeah that's why I only have to work three hours today. So I'll, I'll and, leave. I got to go to the grocery store, go to the so, bank, and cook my food to go tomorrow. So let's I'll leave tomorrow. Let's think I'll be about back something. On Saturday. Let's think yeah. about something. I've talked about this idea before. I developed this a long, long time ago. I called it the million dollar idea, <laughs> and it was one of the first times that fuel had hit like four dollars a gallon. And I calculated and I said, look, if you could get one more mile per gallon, and this is an average, I could put a million dollars in retirement account for you. And it's just from the savings alone. Yep. You don't have to give up anything. You don't have to sacrifice. Just get better fuel economy and then put the savings in the bank. The savings at that time yep. was only $400 a month. On $400 a month, you could end up with a million dollars in your retirement account over a career. Now, you're 1500 a month. That's three, yeah. four times almost. 
better. Nearly four times. Nearly, four, four, nearly yeah. four times more. Yeah. So you, you, if but, uh, you were to take all of that savings over your career, you could put three to four million dollars in your retirement account. Oh, I'll be good with a million. I'll probably spend the other couple of having fun. There you go. That's right. <laughs> so, but so then I, I said to him, I said, I got to fire up my generator. Oh, you got a generator? Yeah. Where? I said, because I got hiding behind a Peterbilt mud flap and I pull the mud <laughs> flap up and pull the string on the Honda and. <laughs> well, I said, so you you going down to the port? This is Friday night. I said, so you headed down to the port tomorrow to load. He's like, no, I've got to do a 34-hour break. Well, the very next exit down the road, there's a Super 8 in some other motel. I would have been going down to the motel. I'm pretty sure he probably idled for the whole 34 hours because it's pretty hot in Texas in July. Exactly. So uh, this is another one I've talked about for years, and people push back. I am shocked. We we tried partnering with the company one time that did discount hotel rooms and it was all kinds of different hotels and you get pretty decent discount and we were going to partner with them i thought it would have been the greatest thing ever nobody cared and then i realized hey wait a minute i do these guys accounting they nobody ever spends any money on hotels i had a huge hotel bill when i drove there was no way i was living in that cab over astro if I was down yeah, for more than eight hours, I got a room. A exactly. Yeah. I got a room. And I, I yeah. don't understand why people are so hesitant on a, on a reset or you're going to be off for a couple of days waiting on something. Go get a room. It's cheap. You have air conditioning. You have a heat. You have a nice, comfortable bed. You have a TV. Probably might a swimming be a, pool. A gym and a pool. And exactly. Just get away from the truck for a little while. And. And that, that very next exit down, it's in Fairfield, Texas on I-45. The very next exit down from the TA, there's two motels there, and there's always it, trucks parked there in the motels, so they can't be that expensive. Uh, so, and you have parking. Yeah, there's another way to deal with the parking issue. You go to a hotel, you usually have parking. That's I, I just don't understand yeah. why people... So, you know, they'll they'll go spend money on factoring. They'll go spend money on dispatch services. They'll pay somebody to do their accounting. Yeah, they'll but, pay somebody to yeah, do their fuel yeah. tax. They won't spend a couple bucks to be comfortable in a room. Yeah. So so anyway, I, I gassed up my Honda generator on the way home. I got an auxiliary tank. So it, I, I squeezed right to the top and it. Oh, nineteen dollars and four cents to stay cool for three nights last week. So <laughs> pretty cheap. There you go. So, yeah. So I have one other question. Sure. Uh, my new trailer when I get it. So do I depreciate a trailer for three years or five years? Oh, good question. A trailer happens to be five and you can't do it for three. If you were to ever try to do it for three and they caught you, you would end up paying back some money in interest and penalties. Tractors are three years. Trailers are five. Okay. Right. I, yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought it was. Yep. Good five, question. I wasn't 100%. Okay, carry on. All I'll right. be listening tomorrow. Thanks for the call. All Thank right, you, we are going to wrap this up today. I've got some projects I've got to go catch up on. I'm behind on a bunch of reading. I should get caught up. Summertime's tough. There's just so much else I want to do. And this week, um, maybe I'll go look right now. Uh, this week, I am, as soon as I get caught up on a couple things, I am going to pull out all the wing foil equipment, and I'm going to start watching for a good day. Let me see what uh, the forecast says. 
let's see. Today does not look good at all. Looks kind of nasty out there. It's a little cloudy. Going to have some winds, though. Ooh, looking at uh, 20 to 30 knots. Some strong winds today. Not good for all the fires here. Um, actually, looks like it might be a good week. So I, I may be out on the water this week. We'll see. Not today. Too much to do, but uh, start keeping an eye on it tomorrow. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. We will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.